everybody, and welcome to the Put Cancer Behind You podcast, a series dedicated to helping cancer patients and survivors lead healthy, happy, cancer-free lives. I'm your host, Maria Barnes. My guest for this episode is Janet Alford, a seasoned international business professional and an ordained pastor in the Presbyterian Church USA. She's also a cancer survivor who relishes the mystery of life and is a passionate seeker of the truth. Janet, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Maria. I appreciate you having me. Well, before we get into your multidimensional career, spirituality and cancer, tell us a little bit about your family background and interests. What type of childhood did you have? So I am the oldest of three girls. I was raised by incredibly loving parents in what we would consider to be a traditional family with Uh, an emphasis on education. So uh, when I went to college, I was interested in going into business as well as I had a passion for languages. And I completed the degree requirements for French. I studied abroad and eventually went into a practice of uh, mergers and acquisitions at a large global management consulting firm and was in the Atlanta office I also went soon after to the Paris office where I was doing mergers and acquisitions for uh, the better part of a year. That's fantastic. (laughs) Let's just say that you had what anyone would consider a very solid start to life coming out of college. But I know that in speaking with you, a lot has happened since then. Tell me about it. Thank you. Well, just like everybody else, we have our journeys. And I feel very grateful for the solid foundation that I was given. And without it, I don't know if I would be here speaking to you today. I mean, everyone has their, everyone has their story. And for me, things started out well. I went into a very structured program in a large management consulting firm. And what I like to say is with each decade, things, things got a little, little more wobbly. And I really had to um, question my, uh, my beliefs, my thoughts, my indoctrination. And I call these a series of sideswipes. And we've all had them. So I was married in my early 20s to a colleague that uh, I met through school and work. And I always knew I had this knowing that I wanted to have children. And it was a little confusing because I also really loved what I did professionally and had to travel a lot and also work very long hours. So in my late 20s, I became pregnant with our first uh, child and unfortunately uh, lost uh, that child at about 20 weeks. And that was incredibly devastating because I blame myself for that. I was working on working on an acquisition at the time, working long hours, flying back and forth to a city uh, in the U S away from my home. And that, that really shook my confidence that I suddenly couldn't do something that I thought was so natural at the time. That was a big one. Yeah. And, eventually did have two children back to back. My children are 13 months apart in my early 30s. And that was another, uh, you know, turning point in my life. 
Right. And so is that why you decided to leave corporate America and go back to school and become a pastor? What what prompted you to make that change? That's a great question, Maria. I would say probably, you know, as I look back, it's this innate search for truth. I was born, it's just part of who I am. I was born with this kind of like this knowing that there's something behind, like in the Wizard of Oz, like I, I knew there's somebody behind the curtain. Like I knew, I just was born with this innate sense of there's more than what we see. And I want to know the truth. And I don't want anyone to tell me the truth. So I am what's called a driver in that regard is I don't leave any stone unturned. So I had an opportunity. I had decided at that time to be a stay-at-home mom for a little bit while my children were infants and was introduced through that um, in the Presbyterian Church to the first female pastor. I had never had a female pastor before, and this female pastor was uh, someone I really looked up to. Was She was smart. She was interesting. And she also was in the first class of women at Princeton. Wonderful. When women were allowed to be ordained in the Presbyterian Church. So she was a real trailblazer. And she encouraged me to consider uh, going to seminary, which was never on my radar. And I had this love of language and I was doing a number of Bible studies with her. And I said to her one day, you know, I we were in the Old Testament. I was like, I want to learn Hebrew. Like, I don't want someone to tell me what these words, translate them for me. So uh, one thing led to another, and I was given uh, the opportunity to go to uh, Princeton in 2001, which meant selling, was married at the time, selling the house, moving two young children. So it was a really big deal. However, it was such a such a gift to be able to do that because I was able to, um, you know, sit at the lap, at the feet of these amazing scholars, beautiful people, just, and um, that was such a gift to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. So you love languages and I mean, you were reading the original texts, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and not just me, like in, in the Presbyterian Church, you actually have to be <laughs> proficient in Hebrew and Greek in terms of reading Hebrew and Greek to pass your, uh, your ord- and other things, but those are part of your ordination exams. So we're examined both through a series of written examinations, but also oral examinations, and then you're examined by your presbytery in order to be ordained. So there's a whole process you go through. Right, right. And you were ordained, correct? I am, yeah. And so what is the title of a, what did you leave grad school with, basically, divinity school? Yeah, so in the Presbyterian Church, you have to have a Master of Divinity, which is a three-year graduate degree, and that's what I did at Princeton. So graduated with a Master of Divinity, and then the ordination is ordination to a minister of word and sacrament. So that uh, was then the prerequisite to being called to a church, which I was, to lead uh, certain ministries of the church. So I served a church in Alexandria, Virginia for about two years. And um, it was a bit of a jigsaw puzzle because my husband at the time, he had moved from corporate law to academic law. He had been at Columbia University and then at Princeton, a position at Georgetown Law opened up, so which enabled us 
to move to the Washington DC area and I was called to this position in Alexandria. So it was a, it was a lot of, it was a lot of, uh, it sounds beautiful now, but it was a lot of anxiety and a lot of uh, connecting the dots at the time. And our children were going into third and fourth grade at that time. Okay. So yeah, that was, uh, I mean, a, a lot of stress actually, as great mm-hmm. as it was, very stressful. So after several years, I know you all moved back to North Carolina. What prompted that move and what happened in North Carolina? So we did. So it was actually solely generated by uh, my husband at the time was unhappy where he was. He wanted to change. So he had accepted a, a position in Charlotte, North Carolina, where we had family and was not there very long before he took a position at the University of South Carolina. So we live on the South Carolina side. We're in the Charlotte area. And at that point, I made a decision that our children were going, it was all based on what the you know family's needs were. Our children were going into fifth and sixth grade at the time. So I made a decision to, rather than going back into the church full time, to start my own consulting firm, focusing on working with nonprofit and social sector clients in the areas of strategic strategy, leadership, strategic planning, uh, to use the skills that I had developed prior uh, to that to that type of work. And that gave me a, a lot more flexibility, which I needed at the time, because uh, unfortunately in the church, things have changed because of COVID, but unfortunately at that time in the church, you obviously have to be available for your members and your members work full time. So it's nights and weekends, which is a bit ironic. And then that puts the family a lot of you know juggling that you have to do. Yeah, that's stressful as well. It is very stressful. Yeah. So I know that you are a Course in Miracles student. When mm-hmm. did you become interested in the course? How did that fall into your lap? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's so interesting. Um, I think you know it's a great question, Maria. I think I look back and say, you know, I think, I think you know there are greater forces at work, and it was being seeded, you know, all along the way. So I know that. I could never explain this. When I was in seminary, that's it was a time when Mel Gibson's Passion of the Christ came out in my third year of seminary. And the whole seminary was like galvanized by this. And everybody was going to see the movie. And then study groups were formed. And I think in my class of 200 and some students, I probably was the only one who didn't see the movie. I had this visceral, I'm not telling you, I don't know where it came from, but I had this visceral reaction that was like, no, that is so wrong. And I don't know where it came from, but I couldn't physically make myself do that. And I didn't, I kind of, you know, was undercover like, oh yeah, I'd see the movie. So there were some seeds planted then. And as I worked in the church and taught and learned more and more and more. I I also had this abiding love for Jesus. I just felt like Jesus was this really cool dude. And what I learned in seminary that was so fascinating was as we were studying the New Testament, particularly church history and what was going on at the time, it was so interesting to me, like what really happened, like what was included, what they were fighting about, what got pitched out of the the canon. So the canon is the books of the Bible that were officially mandated by the state, right? In 325 plus 400 
AD at these all these councils, they were all run by the state. So there were political decisions that were made. And I knew, for example, from being particularly at Princeton, which was such an honor and a privilege from all the scholarship, I knew that Jesus actually believed in reincarnation, that there is evidence. And it would have been actually some of the way that made sense to me was it actually would have been really, really unusual if he hadn't because for the education that he had, the times that he lived in, the influences in Jerusalem and the scholarly community at the time. So there was a lot that was just part of the way it was that we don't even know about today. It was deliberately taken out. So I, so that all was kind of in the background. And I just kept, you know, kept digging, kept reading, kept learning things. And then one day, Gary Renard came across my, I don't know what, algorithm, my <laughs> newsfeed. I was kind of digging into Sounds True. And I think he had been interviewed. And I was so intrigued by that, that I did get the disappearance of the universe. And that just, you know, that was it. Right. What was interesting was when I started seminary, it was the summer of 2001. So I was up there during 9-11 and it was wild. Yeah. So I'd start, came up, I came up early to take summer Greek. So I was there in like June of 2001 and that was September. And, you know, my kids were in school, they just started school. So we were there and it was like, reading all of that was like, wow, yeah, that really changed my life. So that was a, a seminal moment for me. Yeah, that was seminal for a lot of people, myself included. I mean, the disappearance of the universe was, yeah, well, I mean, it, it took me in a totally different direction, mm -hmm. honestly. I, I mean, I had been studying the course by then, but um, that book was so revealing and it's recommended for anyone who's interested in anything to do with Jesus, actually, it has a lot to do with, with him and his life. But here's my question. I mean, given, okay, I know that you're interested in everything, but I mean, you really have a very traditional background in, in terms of studying. What made you believe that what you were reading in The Disappearance of the Universe was actually true? It's a quality of the innate, which I think we're all given. I think that, you know, I, well, I believe, I think it was part of like, I totally believe that the Holy Spirit is alive and active. I mean, I totally believe that the Holy Spirit is a real thing that we can't see. And that's, so it's interesting because that's completely condoned by the church, right? You know, right. you're allowed to talk about the Holy Spirit, even though it may be kind of weird. Woo-woo. <laughs> yeah, woo-woo in secular terms. So I knew, I knew that. And I believed, and in the New Testament, there's language about, you know, the Holy Spirit brings to light things for us, that, for us to see, you know, works in our hearts. So I was totally accepting of that. And then there was just this, like, there was just this knowing I've always had, I mean, we all have, I mean, we all have gifts. They've just been suppressed. And my gift has always been a knowing. I have Claire, what is that? Right. Claire Sentience, you know, Whatever just, it is. I just, yeah. I have this knowing and I know like things pop in my head and I know that I'm not smart enough to create them. Like they're from somewhere else. And then, you know, you test the waters. And, and of course, in the New Testament, Paul talks about testing spirits. You test the waters, you test the spirits, you take it in, you see how it feels. So when Gary Bernard started talking about forgiveness, the forgiveness of 
that we learn in the Course of Miracles that was given to us, you know, by the Holy Spirit, by Jesus, that just rang true to me about forgiveness. And that made so much sense to me. Yeah. Because it never made sense to me that the world's type of forgiveness would actually be beneficial because you just keep going round and round in circles, like it never ends. Right, exactly. And so the forgiveness as prescribed by A Course in Miracles is is what is known as quantum forgiveness. It mm-hmm. really, it takes away the sin on all levels across all time. And so it's it's comprehensive and very different from the forgiveness that we were taught growing up in, mm-hmm. for most of us. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's, and we can get into that another time, but it's, but it was fascinating. And so, so here you are, you've moved, you know, there you are back in the South, South you're Carolina. running your own yeah. business. Yeah. You're, uh-huh. you're doing all this stuff. And then you decide to go back into corporate America, which ended up being a really good move for you. I have to say, why was it a good move? What happened in your life then? Ah, good question. So, you know, a combination of, you know, fear, (laughs) necessity, what I felt was necessity. And yes, there is always a silver lining. So things were going, so now we're in the decade of the 2000s, the 2010s, and things were just going sideways. So my husband at the time I was very confused. Uh, He was very, very unhappy. And I didn't, couldn't figure it out. I didn't know why. We had two children who were going through puberty, teenagehood, getting ready for college. So that was very busy. It was a very busy time. And there was this moment when I was very concerned. So the catalyst was I was very concerned about my daughter she, on the one hand, is an extremely good athlete. So she was excelling at lacrosse. So going to lots of tournaments and doing all these cool things. On the other hand, was struggling academically. And that didn't make sense to me. And at the end of the day, what what it was after going through lots of avenues and testing was that she needed a different, she is dyslexic and she needed a different kind of academic environment that her local public school was just not able to provide. So I really think that that was a, if we talk about turning points, that was definitely not only a turning point, but a tipping point for me, because I found that I said, this is not acceptable. And she came to me and said, mom, it doesn't matter whether I study or not. They're going to keep passing me because they want to win state because she was one of the best players on the team and they want to win state. So they're going to keep passing me. They're not going to let me fail. And at that moment, I had this, you know, I've had these visceral reactions in my life. That was a visceral reaction. I was like, no, that is not acceptable. We are going to find there's got to be a better way. So there's got to be a better way, right? There's got to be a better way. So I just started doing research and talking to people. And what happened was I had a sorority sister who had gone to a school that I thought might be beneficial. We talked to them. That turned out to be a very good choice. They had a very good learning uh, program uh, for my daughter. So that turned out to be a good choice. So how I went back to corporate America was I needed to generate, my husband at the time um, actually refused to pay for it, said I'm not paying for it. She just needs to study harder where she is and I'm not paying for it. So I was like, all right, I'll pay for it. So I went back 
to, I was doing well in my consulting firm at the time, but the income is not steady. Right. <laughs> so I said, all right, I went, I had an opportunity to go back to a different role with the same firm. I knew it would pay me the income I needed to take care of her tuition and actually moved her brother to a different situation as well. So I went back and did that so I could pay for both of their tuitions. That's amazing. Wow. Did that. And then the, you know, as things started circling the drain in, uh, you know, fast forward, that was in 2011. So fast forward 2015 and my husband just left, you know, absolutely just took off, left. That's an just it disappeared. <laughs> Not even shocking. left, but disappeared. And we had to track him down and find out what was going on. But um, he, at, at the end of the day, what happened was he had started a new life. He just forgot to tell us about it. So, um, and this was all going on when the kids, he left when the kids were going into their second and third year of college. So it was just a huge mess. Right. And so he left you high and dry financially as well, correct? Correct. He just took what he could and left. Shocking. So how did you survive that? I mean, what did you draw upon? How did you actually get through that? It's a great question. I mean, those were really, I mean, I'll tell you the. I mean, everyone, so I'll tell you from my experience as a pastor, although it was it, in the church, it was very brief. Still, you have no idea <laughs> what people go through. And I would say that you know, I've always said that you have no idea what goes on within the four walls of a house unless you are in the four walls of the house. Because to outward appearances, we looked like the perfect family. And I worked very, very hard to keep up that illusion. So, you know, highly educated parents at the time, my husband at the time was a, a dean at a law school, wow. you know, looks great from the outside to successful children. But what goes on, on the inside, you don't know. Um, so how I got through that, the darkest days, there was about six months where it was such a shock that I literally couldn't even, couldn't even process it. It was just like, what do I have to do today? What do I have to do today? What do I need to take care of today? And I was very, very, very concerned about keeping the kids in school. So I had paid our daughter's tuition and the son's tuition didn't get paid. So he was actually de-enrolled. So I had to call the school and say, just here you go. This is what's going on. I couldn't make this up if I wanted to. <laughs> so it just took one step at a time. And, um, but my goal was I wanted them to be in supportive environments. And to me, that felt like it was a better idea to keep them where they were. And I also, I mean, you know, I, I stopped sleeping, I couldn't sleep, I stopped eating. And I and I had, I'll tell you, you know, I did have suicidal thoughts. I thought, what, what am I living for? There's, I don't know what's, you know, what, what am I going to do? And the thing that kept me going was, it's kind of morbid, but like, I'm like, well, if I leave, I don't think that their dad is going to take care of them. He doesn't have it in them. He, I, for whatever reason, he, I don't think he's going to take care of them. So if I leave, I've screwed up these kids. And I felt this tremendous amount of responsibility. Like I got to stick around in whatever form I can because I got to get them through college. So it became like, my focus became like, all right, let me get them through college. I've got to get them through college and then I'll figure it out. I've got to get through college. So I kind of kept that, but it was like literally, 
you know, I know when people go through stuff, you know, you, you hang on to something. And that was my, my rope. It was like, I've got to get them through college and I will figure it out. Thank God you, you did. Wow. My hat is off to you, but that was so traumatic, but there was more trauma waiting for you. It seems what happened after that? Let's fast forward a couple of years to 2020. Yeah, 2020, 2020 to 2022, everyone, you know, turning point. I said, this is definitely a turning point. So yeah, in a very compressed way, let's see, 2020, my daughter and I decided to invest and open up a women's, um, a pure bar, a women's fitness studio. And that was going on. And the world came to an end in March of 2020. And my corporate job, which it was client facing and relies on travel came to a grinding halt with COVID <laughs> with COVID right. Gyms were closed in North Carolina where our studio is. So we were about to open and then we couldn't. So that was March to July. And then in July we were doing outdoor and virtual classes. And in May of 2020, you know, one of those, I came in on a Monday and they said, Oh, thank you for your 15 years of service. But you know, we're, we're done. So that was a huge shock. Wow. So let's see. Yeah, that's May lost my job. And then we finally tried to have some operations at the studio by the summer because we had to pay our rent. We weren't allowed to open. We couldn't have people in the studio till, I don't know, September, October, but very limited, limited capacity, spaced out, extra cleaning. So all that was going on. And then in December, Yes, December, I got the breast cancer diagnosis. I mean, it couldn't have been a worse year. <laughs> I know, I, mean, I know. Honestly. It was like, it was almost, it was like, I'll tell you, Marie, it was like, it was almost surreal. It's like, Ugh. okay, whatever. Yeah, okay. And I remember being really pissed off when I got the <laughs> diagnosis because I had gone in for a routine mammogram, nothing, you know, nothing going on, no family history you know, no, no genetic markers. So it was like, what? Exactly. We're not doing this. Right. You got hit upside the head, but with a brick there. That Uh, was certainly, yeah, that was certainly hit upside the head with a brick. So it was like, oh, and on top of that, yeah, it gets even better because on top of that, I had fortunately a friend, a colleague from my former role was at another company, reached out to me and said, I think we've got a really awesome role for you. So had gone through a recruiting process with them and was literally starting that new, a new, with a new company, new role, which I was very grateful for the same time I got the diagnosis. So I literally had to go in and say, you don't know me from Adam, but I'm going to have to take some time off and I'm not sure how much. <sighs> and they were incredible. I mean, so supportive. So I'm so grateful for that. And yeah. that they've been incredible the whole, I'm still work with that company. I'm very, inc- very grateful for the support they've given me, but I was like, yeah, I'm going to get fired. Like, right, right. <laughs> I need health insurance. So oh, my goodness at the worst time, but yeah. I, I mean, and, and we had just met and the way mm-hmm. we met, let's, let's go back let's a little bit. Yeah, yeah. A Course in Miracles. So I know mm-hmm. that through A Course in Miracles, you came upon a woman named Tina Louise Spalding. I did. And yeah. tell us about that, because that really changed your life as well. It changed my life. Yeah, same sort of thing with the Gary Renard. So I think because of that algorithm <laughs> on YouTube or whatever it is, Tina started popping. It was about the same time. It was around 20, I don't know, 20 something when she first started posting on YouTube. 
yeah, something came up and um, I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And she's going to talk about A Course in Miracles. That's kind of interesting. So I started listening and I was like, wow, like this person makes so much sense. And she's, she's a trans channel, right? She's ch She channels right. Jesus. She channels Jesus, yeah. which didn't bother me at all. Cause I'm like, yeah, I know, you know, for me, like, I believe Jesus is alive and well. I don't, I've never had a problem with, you know, Jesus is dead and gone. One of the things we Presbyterians like to talk about is, you know, we are a, an Easter people. We are a resurrection people. Well, what does that mean? It means that we believe Jesus and the Holy Spirit and they're all there somewhere. So yet Tina made a lot of sense to me because she is smart and interesting and she's very well read and uh, very, very, but a very approachable. And that that appealed to me a lot. And I um, got to meet Tina. I went to a retreat. I can't remember. My first retreat was in Costa Rica um, before COVID when we still could travel. And right. uh, that was, and I met Carol Morgan at that time. And that was pretty amazing. Right. So when, when your world really fell apart yeah. with cancer and all the financial stress of COVID, what ramped up was your connection to the Course in Miracles community, as well as to Carol Morgan. So, And you too. When did we meet, Maria? We met shortly before you were diagnosed with Oh, that's cancer. right. Yeah. And we did. Yeah, we did. the co And I was, we did the coaching together, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We met in Sedona. We that's did. it. That yeah. fall in Sedona, right? Yeah. Right before the diagnosis. Yeah. Wow. So we were on that. We were there. And yes, you have come through cancer beautifully, but your life has changed tremendously. <laughs> yeah, yeah in, it has. In some of the best ways. What is going on now? What in retrospect, I mean, there have been a lot of blessings that you've sure. received since then. I mean, especially. Well, I remember one of the first conversations we had in the coaching, Maria, and you were, of course, incredibly helpful in uh, helping me understand like what the steps would be. But the thing that I remember the most is you saying to me, oh, you're going to meet some wonderful people, some wonderful doctors, wonderful nurses. You'll, you'll, you'll be so enriched. And I remember thinking, hell no, I'm, so <laughs> I'm not meeting any good people. This sucks. <laughs> and it does. <laughs> but you did, I hope. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, those words stayed with me and I did meet wonderful people and wonderful doctors and wonderful nurses. And I was in very good hands. So what was all happening kind of simultaneously was we had COVID going on, new job. I had, I guess when I started, I had three surgeries last, this time last year, March, April, then was going through a healing process, then went through radiation. And Carol Morgan reached out to me and three others in our community and said, hey, I've got this thing going on with uh, uh, an extraterrestrial <laughs> named Zena Allen. And I've been trained. I knew she had been transmitting these, this, these energy attunements, which is this beautiful art. And she needed support to help bring this into being. And we all immediately said yes. And so I found myself during this time as well, stepping into a role where I felt I was could be very helpful to the group in helping us organize a partnership, setting up governance structures, participating as a member of a partnership. And so a lot of the things that I had learned and the experience I gained along the way 
Absolutely. I was able to share. Yes. And thank God, because every business that's fledgling needs somebody with a lot of experience can really help it fly, Mm -hmm. (laughs) literally. You're doing beautifully in that role in helping Carol. So that's a very spiritual endeavor as well. Mm Because the being that she channels, Xena, the blue avian, is an extremely high frequency, sixth dimension being, and he's all about love. And it's so healing to hear him when he comes through. It's so healing to hear Jesus come through. It Uh really does make a difference. And for you and me both, I think we're here because of that. I I really feel very strongly about that. I do too, Maria. And there was a time at which this, like, it's like, duh, this realization dawned on me, like I got hit by a brick and I thought, oh, wait, they're all saying the same thing. So when we learn about, it's all based on the principle and not, it's the principles of the Course of Miracles. It's all based on forgiveness. Right. And for me in this experience I'm having now, for me, the forgiveness has really been forgiving myself because when I went through the, the, times with my husband and leaving and all that, I blamed myself. And I felt extremely guilty about what I felt I had subjected my children to, that it was my responsibility. And it was my responsibility to get them through college, which did in fact kind of save me. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was, there was a, a, certainly a useful purpose there because I felt that responsibility. And then I slowly, like the layers of an onion over these subsequent years, have really been convicted, I think, that the forgiveness has to also be of myself. Because I was carrying big, guilty burden around uh, for their experience. Right. And yeah, forgiveness of others is forgiveness of self. I mean, we're all one. So uh, forgiveness is just so healing. I mean, it is what heals us. There have been a lot of blessings, uh, you know, especially, and I I know more to come. So given Mm -hmm. all that you've been through, what are you most excited about when you think about the future? Because everything is changing right now and it's changing Mm. quickly. The world is changing. We're going through a huge upgrade, everything. What, What are you excited about now? What is your, what do you look forward to besides good health? (laughs) <laughs> well, good health. Thank you. It's a constant discipline, isn't it, in terms of keeping our frequency high? It is. For me, what I'm super excited about is breaking free. So uh, breaking free is a movement. We're not allowed to call it a program. <laughs> right. Because <laughs> we're not indoctrinating people. But breaking free is what I feel like I have been through now these these years and some of it certainly hasn't been pretty and there's definitely been days of desperation and despair so I am right there with anybody going through these momentous changes in their life and I think we're all at kind of at this turning point what I'm really excited about is um, my an opportunity that's been given to me to be of service to others and to be a vessel and my service to others is to say yes, there's a way to get through this and I can help you and I can help coach. And I've been there too. Yeah. That's wonderful. I've been there too. You've walked that in those shoes down that road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and not just cancer, you've had many challenges that you've overcome. So people talk to you. I, I you know, you, you speak from deep experience. Experience. <laughs> experience. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had, you know, those cringe worthy moments in work situations where you're like, what is this like, really? 
And I've had those, you know, moments, cringeworthy moments when in the first 20 minutes when I came back to a house that was ransacked, realizing that my husband had like left and taken the furniture with him. Unbelievable. (laughs) I I mean, that was a definitely out of body experience where you you literally like my body was there, but I was somewhere else because I couldn't even process it. So I have had that experience and it stinks, but I'm here to tell you that you can get through it. And the, what's on the other side is so much beautiful, you know, it's so much sweeter. It's so much lighter. You don't have to stay stuck. No, you don't. You don't have to stay. So it's all about breaking free. Yeah. But you have to, and, and obviously you're willing to do it. You have to put the time in. You have to focus on breaking free. It's not something that just happens to you. You have to work at it. It's work. Thought. It's step by step. It's changing your thoughts. However, I mean, what I had to learn, and this is like coming from a pastor, right? Like, you know, pastors, it's just like cobbler's children have no shoes. I mean, the pastors are the worst. It's like, yeah, I can actually ask for help. I can ask for help. I can ask the Holy Spirit. I can ask Jesus. I mean, my what I learned from Tina that was so helpful is I would literally walk and I'd put one foot in front of the other. And with each foot, I'd say, please clarify my mind so I can see the truth. Please clarify my mind. You know, just that was what I would hang on to. Yep. And and little by little, as you keep going, that's what happens. Little by little. Yes. Step by step. And then we're reminded that, you know, it took how many years in this lifetime to get there. So it takes a few years to break it down, right? It does. It does. But it's a path uh, really worth going on, I I have to say. I can't imagine doing anything else at at this point in in my life, given all that you've been through, I've been through, a lot of people have been through. But I I think that's the benefit of uh, perhaps what we have to share with others. So we're here to share it. We're here to say there there is a better way, you know, there is a better way. There is. And Janet, I just, I think that many people would benefit from talking to you. So if anyone would like to contact you, what is the best way for them to do that? The, the best way is through Zena Allen. So my email, which you can share with your listeners is, it's really easy, Janet at Zena Allen, which is X-I-N-A-A-L-L-E-N.com. And our website, if you're interested, is www.zenaallen.com. And um, that's the best way to get a hold of me. And you can check out the attunements and see what we're up to there. Yeah, absolutely. That's wonderful. All right. Well, I know it's been a wild ride. And uh, I know many more fun and exciting times are ahead. So thank you for sharing everything that you did today. It's been an amazing journey. And of course, I just wish you the best going forward. And thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Maria. And thank you for walking with me through this journey, particularly in the last two years. Couldn't have done it without you and without putting cancer behind me. So thank you. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Thank you for listening to Put Cancer Behind You with Maria Barnes. So you won't miss a single episode. We hope you'll follow our program on Apple Podcasts or any of your favorite pod platforms. And be sure to visit us at MariaBarnes.net, on Facebook at Put Cancer Behind You, on Twitter 
at PCBY01 or on Instagram at MariaBarnesPCBY. Also, you can help us grow our audience by leaving a thoughtful review. Remember, if you or someone you know is in need of cancer coaching, Maria is here to help. We'll see you next time.